Lord Jesus, open our hearts to you, sent by your Father to us. Open our eyes, our ears, our wills to you and to your word, that we might reflect your glory. In Christ's name, amen. I love this passage, the one that Sue just read. It, at first glance, it's um, just, a continu- just a continuation of the Christmas story. You can't call that just, I guess, but a continuation of the Christmas story with all of its surprising characters and words popping onto the scene. I think of it, at, I thought of it at first as like a Rembrandt painting. You know all those Rembrandt paintings that have this bright, glowy, ethereal light in the middle and are sur- it's surrounded by deep darkness and it's not just because it's an old painting that hasn't been restored, right? Rembrandt could do that. And this passage, at first glance, seems like one. It ought to have that kind of shiny light in the middle of darkness, illumination filling our world. But as I've read and studied it, I thought of a different analogy that I think is the better one for this little vignette. It's more like an overture of a musical or or an opera. You know, there are all kinds of themes, melodies, that will be unpacked as the gospel unfolds, as Luke narrates the life, death, ministry, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. we'll hear those melodies again, right? But they're all right here. Luke is letting us in, even now, right here at the beginning, on God's character and purpose in sending Jesus. And we don't wanna miss it. You know, when you go to a musical and the overture starts, everyone kind of perks up, right? They settle in, they stop talking, well, most of them stop talking because they know they're gonna hear things and they're listening to see how it will. You can tell a lot about how the play, is it sad or happy or a mixture of both, just by the overture. And Luke similarly is inviting us in this passage to listen up, to pay attention, to listen for the themes that will be unpacked, themes that tell us a lot about God and of his purposes, just like an audience does. So let's be a good audience and pay attention. And let me illuminate a couple, well, not three themes that I see in this passage that are part and parcel of the whole purpose that Jesus came. First theme, and you see it all the way through this passage, it's intentional. It's planned. Simeon didn't just happen to be there that day, right? That day, 40 days after Jesus' birth. Yes, We're told he was righteous and devout, so maybe he had a nudge that way. Yes, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation there means a helper, the one who comes alongside and will give them what they need. He was waiting for that. But he was also handpicked by God. Three times in three verses, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. We're supposed to hear that. Right? Not just preachers, but the gospel writer here three times repeats it. Look at this. First, the Holy Spirit was upon him. In the next verse, 
it was revealed by the Holy Spirit that he should see the Messiah. And then in the next verse, he came into the temple. How? By the Holy Spirit. We're not told how long Simeon waited for this day. We know he's old, as he'd been waiting a really old, long time. We don't know how long the Holy Spirit's anointed, anointing had fallen on him. Before Pentecost, the Holy Spirit didn't come on everybody. It came on individuals, particularly hand-picked individuals. Prophets, for example, had an anointing by God for a particular purpose. And that's the kind of anointing that falls on Simeon. We don't know how long ago that happened. But his arrival at the temple that day was no accident. It wasn't happenstance. It was planned, planned by God. Anna, too, was a prophet. She prayed and fasted day after day after day. Well, day and night, we're told. She was always in the temple. Now, probably that doesn't mean always, always. She didn't live there. Uh, so probably an idiom, sort of like when I say, I've told you a million times. I don't really mean a million of times. Well, maybe if I'm talking to my grandchildren. But I don't really mean a million times, but I do mean a lot of times. So Anna was always there. She was always in the temple. And um, had she been praying for 84 years? This translation says she was 84 years old, but some translations say she'd been a widow 84 years, so she's in her hundreds. In any case, she's steeped in God. She was ready and prepared for that moment. And of course, it was no accident that Mary and Joseph were there. We're told they're devout and just, so they are fulfilling the custom of the law. Luke says. The custom of the law was to present a firstborn to God. It was holy to the Lord. Animals would be sacrificed, but people would, would have sacrifices in their stead. In this case, because they were poor, two turtle doves. In other cases, a lamb and a dove. So in any case, the point is, this whole vignette from beginning to end was planned by God. Simeon and Anna, Mary and Joseph, even Jesus got to participate in this little scene. I think when it comes to Jesus' life, we forget that. We forget how planned it is. We tend to think that things just happen to Jesus. He just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. But we forget how much of his whole life was planned by his heavenly father from before the foundation of the world. We forget that he was chosen and that as he chose to stay in union with his father, he chose event after event. He chose to speak in the way he spoke. He chose to go to his death. His whole life was purposeful and intentional and we see that theme already in this little passage. Paul says the same thing about this purposefulness. Did you hear it? As Sharon read it for us, he chose us. He chose us before the foundation of the world. He predestined us for adoption as sons. Paul is overflowing with thanksgiving and praise because he has this deep sense 
that he and those who follow Jesus are a part of something big that we are invited into by God himself. Our lives are a part of this big plan purpose, much bigger than we can see, although we share a little part in it. A second musical theme or thread is found in Simeon's words of thanksgiving. He thanks God that he gets to see it. Your salvation, I see. By the way, Jesus' name actually means God saves. Jesus, Joshua, Josiah, those names all are related. They mean God saves. So you have a little double meaning here, right? Your salvation, Jesus, your Savior. Thank you that you have prepared in the presence of all people. Now remember, did you hear that prepared again? But here's the theme I want to emphasize in this. He prepared it in the presence of, did you hear it? All people. All people. In other words, not just to religious Jews, the people who thought they had it all together. And Simeon goes on, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. We're meant to see this. We're meant to see this inclusion. We're meant to see that God intends his love and power to be available to everyone. Now, if you read the Bible carefully, you'll see that this was always his intention from the beginning to the end, that he never meant his benefits to be exclusive to a little group of people. But his chosen people often forgot that. Maybe we sometimes do too. They didn't always remember, no matter how many times God tried to get it through their heads, that his blessings were meant to be blessings to others. They were meant to, they, they received those blessings as a badge of honor instead of a, as a gift to be shared. And here, Simeon makes it clear that enlightenment the revelation of God and the glory of God is open to all, including outsiders. And Luke will make this clear over and over again as we continue in the weeks ahead to read his narration of Jesus' life. Blessings from God are not just for our comfort, but something we can offer to others that we are meant to give away. And speaking of everyone... Did you notice, did you notice who was used by God in this passage? Think of it, young, young parents. Mary probably was a teenager. Young and old, Simeon and Anna. Women and men, they're there together, parallel. Gentiles, mentioned first, and Jews. They're all there together, everyone. I think this insight, this theme, is a challenge to all of us, right? It's a challenge to us, ourselves, to remember that we're not disqualified by any of the normal categories. I find this reassuring, well, sometimes challenging, that as I get older, right? <laughs> I don't get, I'm not done yet, right? Even if I'm old, I'm still a part of God's plan and purpose. But it's also a challenge to us to remember that Jesus wants to touch many people around us who don't fit in the normal categories, our own mental map, 
of likely suspects. All over the place, you'll see this again as it unfolds. Jesus' love and power touch people who don't belong, quote unquote, by our eyes, but do belong to God's. So let's listen for these themes in the weeks and months ahead. Here's one last theme. It pops up in the words that, that Simeon speaks to Mary as, uh, as he blesses Mary and Joseph. The purpose of Jesus' ministry, we're told, is to reveal hearts. And that that revealing will also lead to a rising and falling of many. In other words, people up here, we heard this in Mary's Magnificat too, remember? Her hymn of praise. Some will be raised up, lowly ones are raised up, and high ones are brought low. This upside downing of who's important, or really, we should say, right side upping. That's actually what the word righteousness means, right side upping. The right side upping of many. Simeon also goes on and says there will be opposition. Did you hear that? And a sword, Mary, will pierce your heart. We don't really like to see that part, do we? Sorrow and a sword through her heart awaits her. Jesus' life, too, full of love and power, but also with plenty of sorrow and pain. Not just his death, that's what we, where we always go to when we think of his sorrow or pain. But the intentional opposition he experienced all through his life. Imagine it, he's coming to bring God's glory to everyone. And the people who most should know, who most should recognize him, turn their backs. Can you imagine how heartbreaking that must be, that opposition? People intentionally opposing him? and God's purposes and plans. So both Jesus and Mary would know immense joy, but also intense sorrow and pain. And this is a theme that continues throughout the gospel as well, and also throughout the book of Acts. You remember those stories of the early church, how all the time, as the gospel went out, the disciples would be persecuted, giving up their, having to give up their property, put in jail, and sometimes let out of jail, uh, over and over, right? Sorrow, pain, often at the very point of their faithfulness, part of being a disciple of Jesus, the part we like to forget, includes heartbreak and sorrow. And that heartbreak and sorrow often goes along with the very places of significant faithfulness. I've experienced some of that, maybe you have. There are wounds from some of those, some of that opposition. When I've sought, so especially in the places where I know I've sought, I know I've listened, I know I've obeyed, and then heartbreak. But I'm encouraged by this little passage and by the rest of Luke that reminds me this part of being a disciple doesn't mean I've done something wrong, this sorrow. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't understand. So, my friends, that's the overture in this little passage. 
God's intentionality and purpose, and it's big, that we're invited to play a little part in. I mean, after all, Simeon, he died. So did Anna. We don't know. It's probably unlikely that he saw Jesus' resurrection or the coming of the Holy Spirit to everyone that he envisioned. But he played a part in this big plan. He was planned to. God's intentionality and purpose, God's salvation for everyone, including those we might overlook, and God's faith and faithfulness to God includes sorrow, sorrow we sometimes like to avoid. In light of this, I've made some New Year's resolutions. Uh, some of you are rolling your eyes. Maybe you've made some New Year's resolutions. Maybe you've already broken them. But um, I'm not too good at them myself, because half the time I kind of forget, and then go back and say, oh gosh, I forgot that one. But this year, here are the three, in light of this overture that I'm making. Some, a lot of this year I'll be spending with you. So you're, you're included. Uh, number one, I want to remember that the life I live with God is much bigger than I can imagine, and it's planned. That bigness is planned and intentional, and I can't understand it all, right? I have a little part to play, a little part to play. No matter how big any of our parts are, compared to the vastness, the amazing intentions of God, they're all little. That doesn't diminish my part in it. God is delighted to have me, to have you participate. But I don't have to understand it all to be valuable or to trust that his ways are good. And I want to remember that, especially when things get tougher. Second, this is a really biggie for me. I want my eyes to be more open. I want to notice the people God is noticing, the people that I might overlook. I think about the times, embarrassingly I'm saying this, I think about the times where I'm drawn to this person or that and not to her or him. I want to notice that about myself and ask God, is, am I making the right choices? I want to notice those who might not fit into my normal idea of who's open, open to knowing more about Jesus or who is ready to do significant ministry. I want to notice I want to have those same kind of eyes that God intends to be ready to bless, listen, encourage steps toward Jesus, and expecting to be surprised. So that's my second one. And here's my third. I want to trust God with my sorrow, especially the sorrow that has or will accompany some act of faithfulness right? I want to rest. Even when opposition comes, I want to rest in the knowledge that Jesus understands and is with it, with me in it. To trust him, to experience his companionship, even when it's hard. So those are my New Year's resolutions, and I hope listening to this little overture of Luke's gospel, you might join me. Will you pray with me?
Lord Jesus, open our eyes to the vast purposes you have. And open our eyes to see our little part in it and to trust the bigness of it, even if we don't understand. And Lord Jesus, make us able to see who you see, to notice who we might not notice, but you always did. To be ready to bless and encourage others. And Lord, help us to trust you when we experience opposition or sorrow, especially that which comes from being faithful to you. Help us to rest in the knowledge that you understand it, that you are in it with us. And shape us, not just individually, but as a people, to remember these things in the year ahead. In Christ's name, amen.